Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Just a moment of review, and we'll get into what we need to talk about today. Time to get my water bottle open first. Last week we talked about the first three fruits: um, the fruits of love, joy, and peace. And it was encouraging. It was exciting. I got stirred up. I, I went home and I was more happier than I was when I came. And that's what the Word of God will do to you, amen? Um, Today's going to be a little bit more on the uh, challenging side. (laughs) So I'm just going to give you that right out front, okay? I I, I want you to be uh, prepared. But let me review what we talked about last week, and let me also encourage you to go check out our podcast, uh, either on Apple, uh, iTunes, or Spotify. Uh, If you missed anything and you want to go back and get caught up, that's a great way to do it. You can also find our services that have been cataloged on Facebook. So uh, in case you want to catch up, that's the, that's the place to do it. Otherwise, I would do review and just re-preach all the things I already preached the last several weeks, and then we wouldn't get very far. So, But I will do this quick review of last week. We talked about the fruit of love. We said that love makes the ugly thing irresistible. The beautiful thing about agape love is that it takes something that has no beauty and makes it beautiful to the one doing the loving. You and I, even in our mess and in our chaos and the, 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 the challenge of human life, become irresistible to God. Our sin, as ugly as it is, and as much as God detests sin, he loves you more than the sin that you're in. Amen? He loves you more than the sin that you're in. We said that every fruit that Paul lists here in these two verses, is able to exist because love first existed. There's a reason that he mentions love at the top of the list. It's because, you know, joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and meekness and all the things we're going to continue talking about, all of those things find their place and find their expression because of the love of God. I had the wonderful privilege of going to a conference this week down in South Carolina, and I was down there. Brother Frankie came with me. And, and we met up with Pastor Jonathan Del Turco, who's, who's my pastor and a man that I love very dearly, and my great buddy Josh Roberts and a couple of the guys from, from their team, from their church, uh, International Family Church up in Boston. And we all met down there, and I was talking to Pastor Jonathan about this, this series, and I said I was real excited because I was really excited to share this idea that all the fruits are born out of love, that love comes first and everything else comes out of that. He said, yeah, he said, it's so true. He said, this is the way I like to say it. And he said, I, I use an orange as an illustration. And I thought, gosh, anytime you bring food to the pulpit to use it as an illustration, you're doing something right. And so he, he has an orange and he, he peels the orange, you know, so that all the, all the outside skin is gone. And then, and then he takes the segments apart. And he says, love is the orange. Patience is the segment. Joy is a segment. Peace is a segment. Long-suffering is a segment. Meekness is a segment. He said all of these things are expressions of God's love. So the reality is that when you and I learn to receive and embrace the love of Jesus in our lives, we become empowered to have meekness. 
We become empowered to have long-suffering. We become empowered to have peace. Don't you think you could use some more peace in your life? Amen, I can. So we talked about love, and then we got into some other things, the fruit of joy. It comes from the root word, which means to rejoice exceedingly, to be well and to thrive. We said the joy was the messiest of all the fruits. It gets on everything. It's like blueberries or cherries. You get a little bit on you, and it just stains you. You get around some joy people, some folks that got joy in them, and they, their, their joy rubs off on you, man. That's why we like to hang out with people that are happy. Amen. How many just want to hang out with depressed people all the time? Eh, no. No, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's the thing that makes us strong. It's the thing that empowers us and enables us to do the thing God's called us to do, but more importantly, to be the people that God has called us to be. Amen. We also talked about the fruit of peace. You've heard us mention it this way before, that peace means nothing missing, nothing broken, total and complete wholeness in your life. One of the keys to living a life of peace is to protect it in your life. I've heard it said this way, and I think it's so brilliant. If it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. Amen. If it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. Now, we want to continue through verse 22 and... And then next week, we'll, we'll land the plane with verse 20. Or excuse me, the following week after Sarah Lou is here. The following week, we'll, we'll wrap up and land the plane with verse 23. But let's look again at verse 22. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And here we get on to everybody's favorite. Today, we're going to talk about long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. Hip, hip, hooray. Here we go. Long-suffering. Suffer long. Let me tell you, let me tell you what suffering in this scripture is not, real quick. When it talks about long suffering, or for that matter, any kind of suffering in the Bible, when it talks about anything that causes pain in the life of a human being, a Christian, it's not talking about anything that Jesus went to the cross to die for. Let me let me put that out there real quick. Long suffering does not mean Jesus gives you cancer and you need to learn the lesson from that. Okay, that's not how this works. And there's a reason that I say that because it's easy to confuse some of the challenges that life throws at us with some of the disciplines that God wants to build in us. Let me say that one more time. It's easy to confuse sometimes the challenges that life throws at us versus the disciplines that God is endeavoring to build in us. I posted this on social media a while back. There's two kinds of pressure in this world. Pressure that seeks to refine you and pressure that will crush you. They say this, and I've heard this my whole life, that pressure makes diamonds, and that's true. Pressure does make diamonds. Pressure can also trust, crush a Cadillac down to the size of a suitcase. If you've, <laughs> if you've ever watched a car compactor work, you'll see that in action. There are certain pressures that refine us and certain pressures that are seeking to destroy us, and you've got to know the difference. Jesus went to the cross to destroy the thing that the devil would use to try to destroy you. Can you say amen? Jesus went to the cross to deal with your sin, to deal with your sickness, to deal with the malady of sin in your life. So don't put up with those things. Amen. Put your foot down when cancer tries to show up at your house. Amen. However, when patience comes knocking... Don't try to rebuke that. <laughs> That'll make you uncomfortable, but how many of you know it's from the Lord? And it's to come and refine us. 
Let's talk about this word long-suffering for a moment. It's the Greek word macrothumia. Sounds like something you would order at a Greek restaurant. Two orders of the macrothumia, please. Thank you. Make mine spicy. Thank you. It's a compound of two words, the word thumos and the word macro or macros. Thumos is a word that maybe sounds somewhat familiar. We get our word thermos from it. We get the word thermal from it. It has to do with heat, warmth. The direct definition from Strong's Greek lexicon for the word thumos is the word passion, angry, heat. This one's interesting. Anger forthwith boiling up and soon subsiding again. The word thumos means a boil over. Have you ever boiled something on the stove before? Maybe some potatoes. If you're like me, pasta. Some rice. You put it in there, and if you're not paying attention to it, it boils too hot, and then what happens? It just boils over. It gets all over your stove. You've got to clean it. The starch cooks and dries onto the burner. It's a pain. You know, there's consequences when we blow up. Let me try it on this side. There's, there's consequences when we blow up and boil over. Things around us get affected when we overrun our brim with an explosive boil over reaction. I know I'm not the only one that's boiled some potatoes the wrong way. Right? This word thumos, half of long-suffering, the suffering part, this word thumos means to boil over. This is the picture that the Greek gives us of that word thumos. Have you ever had a boil over in a relationship? Have you ever had a boil over in a conversation? Did you ever get one of those phone calls telling you that this is the last time they're going to call you about your car's extended warranty? I like to mess with those guys. I figure if they're going to waste my time, I'm going to waste theirs. Typically results in a boil over. Not by me, but by them. But, you know, we've all been there before. We've all been in that place where we, 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 you know, something on the inside of us is building and churning and stirring up, and I just got to just speak my mind, bless God, and I'm just going to let them have it. I know I'm not the only one. That's what the word thumos means. It's an explosion of anger. It's a boil over. Now the word macro or macros means long, means remote, means distant, distant, far off. It's the opposite of micro, which means short or small or nearby. Like microwave. I really want that pizza from last night, but it's cold. Should I turn my oven on and wait a half hour? No, put it in the microwave, and in 30 seconds, it'll be piping hot. Micro is condensed. Macro is the exact opposite. It's very long. So these two words are paired together, not just here, but lots of places in the New Testament. 
Sometimes it's translated as patience. Sometimes it's translated as long-suffering. What happens when you put these two words together? A boil-over and long. A long boil-over. Is Paul saying we should boil over for a long time? No, he's saying it should be a long time before we boil over. You hear about people having a long fuse. We just light this guy's fuse, and it could be three days before there's an explosion. That's a long fuse. But like I said, some people are not macrothumia. They're microthumia. It's not a long fuse. It's a really short one. It's not that... You know, life could just keep coming at them and keep coming at them and keep coming at them, and it'll be a long time before an explosion. No, it's just a little, and then boom, there they go. They're done. They blow up. Boom. That's not who we're called to be as Christians. That's not who God's destined us to be as believers. To walk in the Spirit, remember the context of this whole chapter is Paul talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit doesn't just mean that I prophesy more. It means that I learn how to control my tongue. (laughs) I told you this one's going to be the tougher one today. To walk in the Spirit means that internally there is significant distance between me and an explosion of my personality. Macrothumia, again, means that we should have a long fuse. Notice, notice this. In this word, it's not a question of whether or not you're boiling. It's a question of whether or not you're boiling over. To have long suffering doesn't mean you don't get stirred up about stuff. To have long suffering, do you know Jesus got angry? Jesus got angry. You know, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. This word long-suffering is not an indication to us that our internal lives need all the time be completely passive at all times. Oh, you just need to be quieter and perfect and never, and never make a mistake, and you just need to never have anything on the inside churning up. No, that's boring. That's dull. God actually wants you to have some passion on the inside. God actually wants you to be zealous about certain things. The problem that we get into is when our zeal overcomes our ability to restrain our zeal. Amen. The question is not whether or not you're boiling. The question is, are you boiling over? Long-suffering means... That, you know, we used to play the, Abigail, come here, come here, come here, come here. This is great. We used to play this game as kids. I'm going to turn and face everybody. And when I was a kid, I used to do this all the time with my friends. And now I get the joy of doing it to my kids. And it's this game right here. Not touching, can't get mad. 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 Can't get mad. Not touching, can't get mad. According to, thank you very much. According to, <laughs> It's a great game. You should try it on your kids. 
That's right, neighbors, kids, spouse, whatever. It always goes over really big. Never fails. No, according to the word macrothumia, we should be able to play not touching, can't get mad for a long, long time. It's a good illustration. I like simple illustrations. They bring them right down where I live. We should be able to play not touching, can't get mad for a long time. We should be able to endure the he said, she said. We should be able to endure the issues at work or the issues in our lives, in our marriages, in our neighborhoods. We should be able to endure those things for a long time without an explosion. We say, that's impossible to do. No, it's not. Greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. I could never do that. Of course you can't. That's why you need the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, putting long-suffering in you so that long-suffering can come out of you. you got to learn to experience and remember the fact that he was long-suffering toward you so you can be long-suffering towards your neighbor or towards your spouse or towards your kids or towards your boss or towards your coworker or towards anybody. Maybe towards that political candidate that you don't agree with. Ooh, and a hush fell on the crowd. (laughs) Jesus said to love your enemies. He said the people that are persecuting you, you know what you ought to do? Fight back, Jesus. No, pray for them. They need help more than you do sometimes. We should be long-suffering. We should have a long fuse. Some would say when you're angry... When something's boiling in you, isn't that unhealthy to hold those things in? Don't you run the risk of getting hurt? It's a logical question, right? How many of you have, have thought that before? It's like, I just got to get it out. Can I submit something to you? When you're getting something out in the flesh, you're actually not getting something out. You're letting something in. When we kick over into flesh mode and just start letting it all out, we're actually not letting anything out. We're inviting some other stuff to come in that doesn't need to be there. Amen? Don't you run the risk of getting hurt when you hold it all in? The answer to that is sometimes, yeah. The reality is that you always risk getting hurt when you choose the way of love. Always. You know who's the hurtest person in the universe? Jesus. There's nobody been rejected more than Christ. By some of his closest friends. You see, love always opens you up for the potential of hurt. But here's the reality. While it is possible that you may get hurt when you're walking in love, it's guaranteed that you're going to hurt you and everybody around you when you let it all out. Amen. I'm preaching real good this morning. Hallelujah. I ain't scared of you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you. I love you. No, it's, it's guaranteed that when the potatoes boil over, it's going to cause a mess everywhere. So what do we do then with our lives when there's things bubbling under? And I don't want to just hold everything in and be unhealthy and cause harm to myself. What do you do? Well, you've got to learn the secret of 1 Peter chapter 5, and that is that you take and cast all your care upon the Lord because he's the one that cares for you. 
the value of restraining yourself when you're with your brother and then opening your heart up for surgery between you and the Lord. That's the opportunity when you get to pour out all of the challenges, the frustrations, the cares, the issues, the concerns. Give them to Jesus. His shoulders are wide enough to carry them. Amen. Let's keep going this morning. How many of you had enough of macrothumia? We got two more fruits. He goes on to talk about kindness. Kindness, this is an awesome one. Ay, ay, ay. Kindness is the Greek word which means moral goodness or integrity. How many of you have ever equated kindness and integrity together at the same time? That's a surprise. When you drill down into this Greek word, you find that it means virtuous. Watch this. Fit for use. Wow. Fit for use. I don't know about you, but I want to be useful to God. We pray things all the time. Lord, use me. Use me, Lord. And then he says, I'd love to. But you're not fit for use yet. told y'all this was going to be the tougher one out of all of them. We want God to use us, man. We want to be used. Lord, send me to the mission field. And God's like, I just want you to be nice to your kids. Lord, send me, send me overseas. Send me to do something great. Lord, I'll build the best church for your kingdom. And he's just like, could you just stop giving people the finger in traffic? Ooh, controversy. <laughs> Don't act like you ain't done it. This is a small town, y'all. Okay? I see everything. I'm just kidding. No, the Holy Spirit's like, I just want to teach you how to, to be molded into the place that you can become truly useful to the kingdom of God. It's called integrity, and it's of absolute importance. This word in the Greek describes something that has been proven. It's been tested, and it's been proven to be virtuous. It's been proven to be fit for use. When Paul uses the word kindness in verse 22, he's not just talking about niceness. He's talking about integrity. This is a term that's used in building, in construction. If the chairs you were sitting on right now were, shot, were of shoddy integrity, you wouldn't want to sit down on them. How many of you ever like gone somewhere and sat down on a chair, maybe in a movie theater? It was kind of busted, or you went and sat on a couch or a park bench, and you just like, you sat on the bench, and you're like, I don't trust this. I think one of these days, the media team is going to compile all the times I do something silly like this and just put them into a long video. One of the definitions of the Oxford English Dictionary for the word integrity is this. The condition of being unified, unimpaired, or sound in construction. The reason that this idea is so important is because whether you're building a chair or whether you're building a skyscraper, the thing that you're building is only as good as its ability to support weight. 
our kindness gets measured in its capacity to support something. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul says love bears all things? That's this concept. Love is measured, kindness is measured in its integrity. What is integrity? The ability to bear things. Love has integrity. Love has to be proven. Your kindness gets demonstrated by how sound and how sturdy you are internally. Guys, our integrity is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's bigger than we realize. You see, we make the mistake sometimes, guys, and I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We make the mistake of building up things around our personalities instead of building up things around our integrity. Whether you're building a business, whether you're building a relationship, whether you're building in ministry, whether you're just, regardless of what you're doing. We tend to build things around our talents or around our personality when really the thing that needs to be established is our integrity. When I was, when I was in Bible school, the dean of our school, who also happens to be one of my closest, one of our family's closest friends, he's Uncle Phil to me. One of the things Uncle Phil instilled in me when I was in Bible school, he said this. He said, your talents and your gifts and your grace, they'll get you there. But it's your character and it's your integrity that are going to keep you there. Your talent will get you to the top of the mountain. But if there's no integrity to go along with your talent, you're going to fall. It's not maybe, it's when. Amen. Ooh, gosh, this is a good message. Praise God, I'm feeling good about my life right now. <laughs> This is a good message. We need to hear this. I need to hear this. We don't build around our personality. We build around integrity. If our kindness is measured in the capacity of our integrity, then the question is, how much can we support? This is what holds people back and being used by God. Many times we want God, people want God to use them, as I said, but he can't because they're lacking the integrity and the weight-carrying capacity that's necessary to be used in the kingdom. God, wants, God can't use some people, though he wants to, not because they can't handle the negative aspects of ministry, but because they can't handle the positive aspects. <laughs> yeah, I've seen negativity ruin people, but I've seen, I've seen success ruin a whole lot more. When you start to believe your own press. Amen. You know, a lot of people get celebrated. If you, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I've noticed it in ministry in particular. A lot of people get celebrated after they're gone, after they're dead. Some of my favorite heroes of the faith aren't alive anymore, and they really weren't celebrated in their lifetime. They were celebrated after they were gone. There's very few people that actually get celebrated in their lifetime, and there's a reason for that. It's because there's very few people that actually make it and go the distance in their lifetime without falling and without failing. Integrity is a big deal. And God wants to use people in ministry not because they can't handle the negative aspects, but because they can't handle the positive ones. It's not that they can't stand up under the weight of criticism. 
but they can't stand up under the weight of God's glory and His goodness. This is how you know you've got integrity. Not just because you can withstand the haters, but because you can stand before God with a clean conscience. Let me say that one more time. You know you have integrity, not because you can outlast and withstand the criticism of people who don't like you. It's when you can actually stand before the presence of the Lord and your integrity is intact and your conscience is clean and your heart's not fighting against you. When you stand before God, you'll never collapse before people. Let me say it one more time for the balcony, folks. When you stand before God, you'll never collapse before people. And can I tell you, those who are leaders or or those who want to be leaders, people in this world need, they're hungry for, they're looking for integrity. They're looking for people who are going to be able to stand before God and stand before them. I don't know about you, but I will follow somebody with integrity. I will follow somebody who has longevity. I was telling you about my pastor, Pastor Jonathan. He's getting, re- getting ready to step out of his role as senior pastor of, of International Family Church this coming January. They just made the announcement. He has pastored that church for 40, count them, four zero years. That's four decades. And you know what? He still loves his wife. He still loves his kids. Everybody in that church still loves him. Matter of fact, they made the announcement a couple Sundays, several Sundays ago. And the first thing out of his mouth, he said this. He said, I want to tell you, we're getting ready to make an announcement. First thing you need to know is we're not retiring and we're not moving anywhere. And he said it twice. He said, let me say it again for people that don't pay attention. He said, we're not moving, we're not going anywhere. People still in the lobby crying, Pastor, we're going to miss you. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. He's just transitioning out of his role. But here's the thing that I love about him. The Lord brought him into my life like six years ago, and we have just created this awesome bond between us. But you know what I love about him? Longevity. Integrity. I'm not looking for a preacher that can just throw it down and sweat a lot when they preach and have this really awesome, potent sermon. I want to know 40 years from now, they still love their wife. I want to know, are their kids saved? They have a good reputation in their community? That's what I'm after. And you know what? I want to I bet, bet, I want to venture a guess, most people are looking to follow after integrity. I don't want to be a cynical person that just believes that there's nobody good anymore. (laughs) Oh, we've gotten off the rails. Let's come back to the scripture here. I've enjoyed some of these rabbit trails this morning. Let's talk about the fruit of goodness and we'll wrap up. Y'all doing okay this morning? Everybody all right? Amen. Just pinch your neighbor if you feel you need to do something. That's fine. It'll wake them up a little bit. The Greek word for goodness here means uprightness of heart and life, goodness and kindness. Have you ever been around somebody like this? You ever been around somebody that's just good? They just got something good from God on the inside of them? You ever described a person this way? Oh, you know, Billy, he's such a good dude. Yeah? Oh, you know, you know that girl, Abigail? Man, what a good girl. She's such a good girl. 
yeah, that's my bro. Ah, dude, he's such, a, he's such a good dude. I have a feeling, and I don't mean this in an irreverent way at all, but I have a feeling that's the way they talked about Jesus. I do. Not because he was just casual around everybody. Not because he was a bro. But I really believe that the Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy more than all of his companions. I believe Jesus constantly demonstrated goodness. He was constantly displaying the goodness of his father to people. He was so connected with the father that that's what he displayed all the time. I really believe that. This word is hard to pull something deep out of the word good. Because it's such a simple word. But it describes a person whose character has been developed to the point that the goodness of God shows through them. Right? That maybe they have a big, awesome, intense personality, but at the end of the day, that's not what people remember. They remember the goodness of God that bled through their big personality. So that people actually were drawn to Jesus instead of being drawn to them. Ooh, say it again. Okay. If people were actually drawn to Jesus instead of being drawn to them. A person who can be defined as good is a person who has learned the art of checking their own personality at the door so that Jesus can be the one that's seen. Amen. When you have the goodness of God working in your life, you never have to make a big deal telling people about it. It's kind of like humility in that regard. The minute you start talking about humility is the minute you stop being humble. Right? I'm just so humble. Man, am I proud about how humble I am. Let me tell you what. If there's one thing I love about myself, it's my humility. <laughs> you see, you, when the goodness of God's working in your life, you don't have to trumpet it. You don't have to herald it. You don't have to announce it. It announces itself. It's just evident. And here's the deal. People are drawn to the goodness of God. People are drawn to it. Do you remember what the Bible says in Romans? It says that it's the loving kindness. Some, some I think this is the NIV, says it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. Like moths to a light, to a flame. Like bugs that hang out around the, the light bulb on your front porch. Man, they just, they'll see it a mile away and they'll come running. People are just drawn to the goodness of God in our lives. Look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11 and 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. It says, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you Worthy of this calling and fulfill all of the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. You see, when, when Jesus is glorified in us, it's not just when we put on great Hope Harvest Festivals. It's not just when we have a good service on Sunday. The name of Jesus is glorified in us when we live a life that's worthy of his calling and demonstrates 
His goodness. You see, the reality is that you and I can draw a straight line between God's goodness and His goodness displayed in us. And the reality is that people will never know that God is good if they don't see His goodness in us. Our testimony of the goodness of God is what shows a hurting world that He is in fact good. Amen? And one of the worst things we can do is talk about God being good and then not have His goodness at work in us. The worst thing we can do is get up on Sunday and say the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever and tell that to people and then live like hell from Sunday afternoon to Saturday night. I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about character issues. We're talking about deep heart stuff. That, that, my, that my knee-jerk reaction to everything isn't to just complain. That my, my immediate response to everything isn't just anger or frustration. We live in a world that's frustrated. And as Christians, we're called to be the opposite. We're called to tell the world that God is good because they see that we are good. It's the goodness of God that makes the gospel attractive. And that's because goodness is so rare in this world. I want to tell you this morning as I close. People already know that the world is a dark place. They don't need you to act like it. Amen. I heard Willie over there go, oh, <laughs> that's, that's a good word, isn't it? People already know that the world is a dark place. They don't need us to convince them of it by being aggressive all the time, being angry. We're not called to blend in. We're not called to look like the world. We're actually called to look totally different. And it's in the difference. It's in the reality of who God has changed us into. And it's the fact that that looks so different from the rest of the world. That's what makes the gospel so attractive. I close with this testimony. And you tell me if I'm doing it, doing it wrong. But when my mom got saved, 1978, 1980, excuse me. I was off by two years. My mom got saved in 1980. When she got saved, it was because she went to a party. Starting out weird, isn't it? It wasn't like a tss, tss party. It was a, it was a cookware party, right? This is something they used to do back in those days. And she went to a cookware party where people were selling cookware, and everybody in the party except for her was not was saved. So she was a person who was in darkness at that time, going into a room full of light. And, and, and she didn't actually have anybody preach to her that night. They just lived. They just were. She was in darkness. And she walked into a room full of light. The Bible says, you are the light of the world. You. Me. Abigail. Frankie. We're the light of the world. We're the city that's set on a hill, and we don't need to be hidden. We don't need to look like the rest of the world. The rest of the world looks dark. You don't need to look dark. 
You need to be the bright person that God created you to be. Take the bushel off of that thing. Amen. But my mom went to that party. I always want to call it a Tupperware party, but it was cook, lifetime cookware. Lifetime cookware. And you know it was a lifetime because she still got some of them pots. <laughs> All of them. See? They work real well. Bless the Lord. You get what you pay for. <laughs> She went to that party, and she went home and went into her little bedroom at my grandparents' house and pulled out her Bible. If I'm not mistaken, was it in Latin or was it in Italian? It was just a regular Bible? Okay, anyway. My grandmother had, like, Italian Bibles and Latin Bibles and stuff because she was Catholic. And, and so mom went home and took out a Bible, whatever kind it was, and just really just very much asked the Lord, If what I saw was real tonight, then I want it. Nobody preached to her. What did they do? They just let the goodness of God come out. They just didn't get in the way of the goodness of God. My friends, the goodness of the Lord in you is what makes the gospel irresistible to those who are in darkness. So please, please, don't go into your workplace tomorrow and act dark. Don't go into your workplace tomorrow and try to look like and sound like and be like everybody else. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Can you please let the goodness of God weep out of everything that you do and touch the world around you? That's what they want. They may not know it. Their hearts may be hardened to it. That's what people are really looking for. They want to know that God is good, and they want you to prove it. Let's stand up to our feet this morning. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you. We love you, and your life counts.